This episode of the Orthodox Conundrum deals with sensitive topics and uses explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn, and I'm honored to welcome my guest, Tali Rosenbaum. Tali is an individual and couples therapist and certified sex therapist. In addition to maintaining a private practice, she lectures in several couple therapy and sex therapy programs in Israel, and frequently lectures abroad. She is the author of over 30 peer-reviewed journal publications, has co-edited a textbook, and is an associate editor of Sexual Medicine Reviews. She serves as an academic advisor for Merkaz Yahel, the Center for Jewish Intimacy. Tali, thank you very much for being with me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Today we're going to discuss an important but, I believe, often ignored issue in the Orthodox community. And I'm speaking of male masturbation, or as it's called in the classic literature, wasting seed. Before we begin, Tali, I want to just mention a few sources to show why this is not just some sort of stringency. This is something which the classic sources of halacha have said Jews may not do. And afterwards, I'll throw the floor to you to say why it's different from anything else that Jews can't do and why there might be issues that we have to deal with regardless of the prohibition. Not to say, of course, that we're rejecting the prohibition, but we have to realize that there are certain mental health issues that might be relevant in talking about it. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. The basic source for the prohibition is often pointed to Breshit Perak Lamedchet, the story of Aaron Onan. The simple pshat, the simple meaning of that text, is not actually talking about masturbation. It's talking about extravaginal spilling of seed in the context of not doing leveret marriage, not doing yibum. Nevertheless, as Orthodox Jews, we have a Torah Shabbat, we have an oral law, which has taken that to mean, or at least has taken parts of that to mean, that there is a prohibition of spilling seed. One of the classic sources which brings this up is Masach Anida, Daf Yud Gimel. I'm just going to read a quick line from there just to give a basic idea. It says, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Anybody who spills seed in vain is liable to the death penalty. The Gemara does not mean literally a death penalty. It's speaking metaphorically, but he means that this is a very bad thing to do. Unless someone thinks this is an offhand comment, which we don't paskin like, which we don't rule like in halacha, this is actually also codified by the Rambam. Hilchot Yisroi Bia, Perakaf Aleph Halacha Yudchet, the 21st chapter, and the 18th halacha, where it says, Asor It is forbidden for a person to waste seed. Aval elu biyad, Those people who act adulterously with their hand, and they spill semen. It's not just enough for them that it's a tremendous prohibition. Someone who does this is excommunicated from heaven. And about them it says in the Pasuk, Your hands are filled with blood. It's as if those people have killed a soul. That's pretty heady stuff. And it can't be ignored. And of course, there are many more sources beyond the Rambam, beyond the Gemara. In particular, many mystical sources talk about this and have even stronger language. So right now, Tali, it looks to me, looking at these sources, that it's a simple prohibition. One can't do it. And yet, as a mental health professional, you've told me that it's not nearly so simple from a mental health perspective just to say, well, just don't do it. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, thank you for bringing those important sources. I do believe that the Torah teaches us throughout our lives in every way to regulate our behaviors and to regulate our primal urges. In all areas of life, we are taught 
that we don't just do what we feel like doing. We don't just say what we feel like saying. We don't behave in a primitive way. And the Torah regulates this for us. The issue of masturbation really begins far before boys masturbate at adolescence. Children touch their genitals as a self-soothing mechanism. It feels good. It's part of development. Touching yourself is part of developing a sense of self. And touching your genital self and understanding that it feels good to touch that area is part of the development of the physical self, the sexual self. You know, you're talking specifically about something that you do or something that you cause, but really the sexual development is part of being human. It's part of being alive. So that refers to touching. Then there's the issue of ejaculation. Ejaculation is part of a process of the physical development in adolescence. There are sperm cells that begin to develop, and at some point, as a normal homeostasis condition of physiological living, they are developed and they need to be expelled from the body. And so uh, they can be expelled in some way that appears to be some sort of accident because you didn't really realize what it was or what you were doing. It may not be because you were educated in what is going to happen. It may happen in a dream, but it's part of the process of growing up. It's a normal, natural thing that occurs. It's something that people do. So that's from the perspective of, of health, of physical health, of mental health. Then you bring up the issue, well, how do we reconcile what you are saying to be something that is a natural part of development? Here, I just read you sources that say clearly you're not allowed to do it. And to that, I would say, well, you know, jealousy and um, speaking ill of other people. There are many behaviors which are to be regulated that go against our more primal urges. And so we want to be able to put things into perspective. We want to understand what's healthy, what's normal, but at the same time, we want to be able to understand issues of boundary, of healthy function, of what it means to not go overboard. Because when you look at philosophy, if you look at halakha, if you, if you look at things in a black or white way, then there is a danger of looking at all aspects of sexuality. You know, and, and that is really the primary danger of looking at masturbation in such a disproportionately negative way. Can you explain what you mean by that? What's that danger? What do you mean? Well, the danger is, is that when a young man does ejaculate in some way, whether it's intentionally or non-intentionally, he will feel a great deal of guilt. And often what happens is, is that that guilt leads him to connect arousal um, with the need to ejaculate. And already arousal is anxiety provoking. It's an uh-oh moment. And what also can happen, especially with more anxious kids or people who tend to have more black and white thinking, is that if I am unable to prevent myself from doing this, this must mean that I am bad. That is a way that people tend to think. It's not, you know, it's, it's what we would call a cognitive distortion. It's not a healthy way to think, but that is the way many people think. I failed in this. 
I am a failure. And, and you're saying that a person's feeling of failure in sexual issues, such as masturbation, will lead to stronger feelings of that than, say, Lashon Hara or whatever other test he might have in his life. Well, it, it, it may not necessarily be that way, but it certainly seems to be that way. Um, and that may, in fact, be a result of the proportional emphasis that we put on this particular behavior as opposed to Lashon Hara, perhaps. But if so much... Um, emphasis were put on Lashon Hara, maybe that would, that would also, you know, if I'm not the Chafetz Chaim, then, you know, I might as well not be from. Most people don't feel that way about Lashon Hara. But with sexuality, it's probably more common for people to feel that way because of the inherent guilt people feel at arousal. There's a trajectory, there's a continuum of behaviors. Sexuality begins with the self and with uh, a connection to the body, a connection to pleasure, and I'm talking about self-sexuality. I haven't even begun to talk about intimacy and other and how we relate to other. But in terms of sexuality and the self, masturbation is very much part of the self because in addition to everything else, the reason why I don't even really like to talk about it that much is that it's a private matter. It is between you know you and you and nobody else. Or you know you want to say God, but that's your personal private relationship. So it is, in fact, a very private experience that you have. And this is just even with yourself. But in the kind of um, progression of behaviors around sexuality, we need to understand that there's masturbation, but then there's also pornography, and then there's also intimate and sexual behaviors with other. And in all of those areas, people need to have self-regulation. We need to have self-regulation emotionally, physically, in our language, in our behaviors. So the danger of considering masturbation as the beginning of a slippery slope and connecting it with all sorts of sexual acts and not seeing it in proportion to other sexual acts, it tends to corrode a developing young man's sense of efficacy, his ability to have agency over himself and control over himself. And that's why we end up seeing a lot of compulsive pornography use, you know, I, people... So one rises from the other. It's the same ca- basic mental mistake almost, if I can call that, meaning... The in sense a way, of, yeah. in a way. I mean, I think that we need to look at masturbation for what it is, and we need to kind of understand that it is a normal and basically healthy, not unhealthy behavior. However, the Torah frowns on it. It's something that young men need to struggle with. The, the struggle is part of what is the challenge, and not necessarily the success or the failure of it. When we demonize that act so much, and we cause so much conflict and shame and guilt, that conflict and shame and guilt begins to enter into the psyche. It's actually a type of trauma, where all arousal ends up being connected to the emotional brain. Uh Uh-oh, you know, arousal is connected to a great deal of guilt, anxiety. And I know you've written that that has serious repercussions later on in marriage. When a person associates arousal when he's single with guilt and various other negative emotions, when he has permissible arousal, so to speak, once he's married, you've said, and I've read some things that you've written where you say that could be a real problem in a marriage. Well, you know, we want, we want, I mean, the Torah wants for married couples to engage together 
with mutuality, with compassion, with caring, with respect, with love. And sexuality is a way to bond. It's a language to create intimacy with one another. It's not a place of now I have an object in which to legally express myself. But when well, that's marriage, often how it's, how it's phrased to people. I know that a lot of people, when they are getting married, they say, well, now you have an outlet. That's actually how it's presented to people. And that's kind of problematic mm-hmm. for marriages because it may be presented to men that way, but in a sense, it can also be presented to women that way. You know, your husbands will need you. You have to be available for them for their need. And, you know, while we are primitive beings in some sense and we do have symbiotic needs for one another, that's not using your best, highest self. Your best, highest conscious use of self would be in creating something that is not um, so primitively interdependent, that really is able to contain something that is so anxious and to be on a higher level of Well, once a person is going to look at his wife as an object, if a man sees her as the vehicle through which he will not sin... And that's essentially her role. That takes away the idea of sexuality as a language. Yeah, and it also perpetuates a lot of dysfunction, especially if the woman has had a past in which um, she has already unfortunately experienced being an object of somebody else's need for personal gratification. And as a therapist, unfortunately, I've seen many cases where uh, a marriage re-traumatized that and not just in women and men as well. I and mean, women and men can become victim to that sort of unhealthy behavior. I want to come back to that, but I want to first go a little bit earlier to something you once wrote. I read uh, in a blog in the Times of Israel. You said something about how when a girl reaches puberty, it's celebrated. She gets her first period. Very often, people will say, "That's a wonderful thing." Now you're capable of bearing life, and all sorts of of positive emotions are associated with that moment. Whereas for a boy, if it's discussed at all, which it often isn't, it will be discussed in the sense of, "Well, now you have a lot of guilt to carry around because the first ejaculation of semen means you did something wrong." Right. How do we balance this idea that you're talking about of trying to control and having a, a healthy attitude towards sexuality, a healthy understanding of this, with making sure that a person isn't guilt-ridden? How should a parent or a teacher or whoever is dealing with this with a, a child make that balance, make that work? Well, what I said about the first experience of ejaculation being ridden with guilt and bad feelings, you know, there are sources... Um, For example, in Aleish Shur, Rabbi Wolb, he has written about Koach Gavra, and he tells his students who are struggling with masturbation that rather than dwelling on the guilt, they should take pride in their developing bodies. So it is not across the board. I do think that there are approaches that exist today which are able to acknowledge and affirm male sexuality while at the same time be as true as you can possibly be to the halachic requirements. Without being guilt-inducing. Without being guilt-inducing. Like I know that you quoted a certain pamphlet. I brought just a piece of paper now, a cover I would call it The Battle of Our Generation, A Practical Guide to Shmirat Tabrit. I'm assuming that this book or pamphlet, which is 
very negative in its attitudes towards any form of masturbation whatsoever. I don't mean simply saying that it's a sore, which no one's arguing, but the very fact that it's created as the ultimate battle of our generation, the title says everything, I assume you think this is probably not a healthy attitude. It's very, very unhealthy. It's alarmist. It's scary. It tells boys that if they masturbate, they'll go blind. There's a whole list of bad things that will happen to them. And I don't know that that, that's just not the right way to educate. Why scare people into, into believing that if you need to use scare tactics to somehow justify the Torah, then that's that's pretty bad. So in terms of practical suggestions, could you give any practical suggestions to a parent who has a boy who's reaching puberty and he wants to educate him sexually according to Torah law, but at the same time raise him in a healthy way so that he will grow up without feelings of guilt and will eventually be able to form a happy marriage that is healthy in every way possible? What would you suggest a parent do? Well, look, I think that part of the parent's job there are a lot of different voices in people's heads by the time they become an adult. And those voices are partially permissive voices, and they're mostly a lot of inhibiting voices, a lot of shoulds and don'ts. And we do want to be able to develop children who have a higher conscious self and who have morals and who believe in right and wrong, know how to act in a way, choose to act in the proper way. And also, we want them to have somewhat of a permissive voice. You know, we want to develop the ego. And the ego, as we know, is uh, the balance of the id, the primitive urges, and the superego, the higher moral conscious. So I would say that what we want to do is we want to raise our children with balance. You know, you quoted the Rambam. <laughs> and, you know, what we know about the Rambam is moderation. And um, we want to be able to raise kids who understand that there is a want as well as a should, and that sometimes we'll choose the should, but sometimes we will choose the want. And lo no ra, there has to be a lo no ra voice in your head. You know, it's not so terrible because we're human. And if we don't have that voice in our head, whether it has to do with sexuality or any other primal desires in life, then you end up with a very overactive executive committee in your head, in mm -hmm. life, which doesn't really allow you any kind of ability to experience pleasure and experience any sort of even self-regulation. Because if you don't have that awareness of the need to feel different feelings and put names to different feelings and be able to experience them, then you become disconnected with yourself. Do you think the parents should speak with their children about masturbation specifically? Or do you think it should be part of a larger message of moderation that you're mentioning right now? Should I think both. I mean, I think that the whole topic of sexuality needs to be discussed with children, just like you discuss any other matters. I think that people are, you know, people ask me about this, and it's funny because obviously for parents who don't show any affection, don't have to, any to language other. to each other, don't have any language of sexuality, for them to suddenly bring up, you know, would be quite jarring. I mean, it it has to make sense with everything else that you talk about. In your, There are some homes that you can talk about masturbation at the Shabbos table because... 
this particular family talks about everything. And there are some homes where nothing is ever talked about. So obviously, I wouldn't give the same kind of advice right. to the same family. It has to it has Makes to be sense consistent. in the context of that family. Yeah, it has to be consistent. But in general, you think it's important to talk about. Yeah, I do think that sexuality is important. It's, a, it's important to be available to answer your children's questions, to not shame them, to And to let raise them it in the know. first place? I think that it, when opportunities arise, you should use them. To kind of come up out of the blue may seem kind of jarring. But I think that the opportunities are there and you have to be aware of the windows. And and that's part of just being a mindful and aware parent. When you are tuned into your child, you'll be better tuned into when he or she might be struggling with an issue and might be available and want to talk specifically about it. I think that giving permission about the body and giving permission about pleasure begins way before adolescence. In what sense? Well, the whole way that parents relate to children and their bodies, that they have genital body parts, that you can have names for them, that it feels good to touch them, but you do that privately, that you can value taking a long walk with your children and smelling delicious flower smells or plants, allowing them the experience of sensory pleasure in the world. These are all positive messages about sexuality. And we haven't even begun to talk about, again, other, because you have to have values and tools of interaction with the other that respects them enough to be able to know how to navigate your sexuality in a relationship with others. So what you were saying before about you know, men who are told that now you have an address for your sexual drive. Well, if you raise your children to believe that they're not entitled to take advantage or use another person in that way, but rather that sexuality is mutual, it's consensual, it's respectful, you have to ask first. And also, these are important messages throughout the life cycle. Just to say to a boy, you know, be shomer and respect your girlfriend is not enough. You have to teach them what it means to respect. And respect doesn't necessarily mean to not touch her. Respect means to ask her first, to make sure that she's consenting. So we have to be able to educate and I would guess that a lot of parents have a hard time talking about these things with their kids, only because perhaps the way they were raised or just the way the society in religious communities very often is structured. Sex is a taboo topic. And it's well, just not the easiest thing for people I, to start raising I, I want to thank you for reminding me of that. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, for, for somebody who deals with this on a regular basis, sometimes I forget about that. So I'm glad that you, that you raised that and brought that up. But to that, I want to say to people who are listening that if you don't, as parents, talk to your kids about sex, they will learn about sex and they will learn it from pornography. They will learn it from the internet. They will learn it from... They don't even have to go to pornography because Netflix and Showtime are pornography these days. So, you know, they Things will, that once would be called pornography yeah. are now rated PG. Yes. And, and it's out there and it's available and it's easy to get to. And so, and so someone's going to talk to watch them. it. The question and, is who? And someone's going to, and, and they're going to see it. And so we need to temper it. We need to process it with them. We need to explain to them what's real and what's fantasy. And if we don't do it, then they're going to get the wrong messages. 
going back to the idea of moderation that you mentioned before, I did something a little bit unfair, which is I quoted a Gemara that said that anyone who masturbates, he's liable to be put to death. And then I quoted the Rambam who says how terrible it is. The problem is that there are many Gemaras that talk about many things and many behaviors that are very bad and are liable to this or that. Lashon Hara also. Lashon Hara for sure is, is compared to, to murder just mm-hmm. as is masturbation. Someone who says Kriyat Shema after the right time and doesn't say, sh- and doesn't say it before Chatzot at night is also liable to the death penalty. Not that that means we should go ahead and do these behaviors, but part of moderation is realizing that when the Gemara says this, it doesn't necessarily mean it to be taken literally in that sense. And even in the Rambam, the fact that this is where the Rambam says this, and yet there are pages and pages and pages, 999 chapters other than this one, literally, which don't even mention it, that tells you something about moderation also, which is that, yes, it should be understood and must be taken seriously, but in context, it is not the be-all and end-all of Judaism, not to masturbate. I would agree with that. (laughs) Tali, are there any other ways that the current way that the Jewish world or the Orthodox Jewish world looks at masturbation in that guilt-inducing way very often can have negative repercussions in a person's life? Well, as we said before, when you're first and then developing feelings and attitudes around your own sexuality are so negative, and you find yourself splitting Um, Splitting is kind of like where you see yourself as a certain person, you have this well-developed sense of self, but this part of you, the sexual part, is somebody who, you know, you, you disassociate from, and you go into this state of, this is not really me, almost in a, in the same way that a victim of a trauma is going through the trauma by saying, I'm here and I'm not really here. We call that freeze, you know, about the fight flight or freeze response right. and freezing is kind of where it's it's a defense mechanism where you take yourself away from what's really happening from what's going on. disassociate from what's going on and i think that for many men they go into sort of a dissociative place with their arousal and they certainly do that around pornography especially when pornography becomes a problem and i have had men in my practice who have gone so far as to visit prostitutes or engage in extramarital affairs because of their decreased self-belief that they are able to um, regulate themselves around sexuality. So this certainly is something that comes up. In terms of function, there are sexual function issues that can come up around sexuality when you are so disengaged from your own self and from your own sense of autonomy well, that and almost agency sounds like, and control. That sounds like the scare tactics, though, that we we mentioned and uh, denounced before, that they say, well, if you masturbate later on, you know, who knows, soon you're going to have affairs and go to prostitutes. How, how is what you're saying different than what this pamphlet, The Battle of Our Generation, was suggesting? Well, it's not the masturbation that would cause it, but it's the guilt around it. The guilt which corrodes the sense of self, the lack of messages that say you are a good person, this does not define you, this is not who you are, this is a part of you. And the other thing I want to say too is that when we do talk to young men about masturbation, I don't think what we should say is if you fail or if you can't control yourself. I think what we want to teach young men is that if you choose to do it, in other words, everything that you do should be a choice, should be with intent. You should take full responsibility. You can say to yourself, look, I'm choosing to do this because otherwise I'll be in physical pain or I'll 
pressure my wife and I don't want to pressure my wife. She really doesn't want to. And even if you choose that, you're choosing it. It's not something that you end up feeling, I'm out of control. I can't control myself. But rather, you've made a choice. So there's an important message that a person is in control and he shouldn't dissociate himself from his decisions and they shouldn't be seen as failure so much as decisions that maybe he would make again or something like that. Yeah, I mean, if if you're going to do something, do it with full responsibility, with full mindfulness, with intention. And by the way, when you do that, you actually have more agency and you're actually better at controlling yourself than if you say to yourself, what can I do? I lost control. I have no control. This is also a big drawback of some of the 12-step programs, the addiction programs. And I'm not dissing any particular program, but I am saying that programs of abstinence tend to not work well. Really? Sexuality is not alcohol or drugs that you can completely abstain from. Sexuality is about yourself. It's part of you. So you can't abstain from it. So programs that... It's there. It's there. Now, yes, it does make sense to filter and to take away, try to be aware of triggers. If you know that you get bored and lonely on a trip, you know, don't take your laptop with you. Okay, that, you know, don't put michsholim, don't put obstacles in your way. But the problem is, is that if you take away the agency, if you take away your own autonomy and control, then you won't believe in yourself and your own ability to filter and your own ability to make decisions and your own ability to say, I can do that, but I choose not to. What we don't want to do is create a situation where, you know, he's not drinking, but that's because he can't find any alcohol in the house. Understood. Tali, this is very interesting. Thank you very much again for joining me today. And if anybody would like to speak with you more about topics like this or anything else in the realm of human sexuality, how do they reach you? Well, I don't have all day long to just speak to people. (laughs) But if you would like to email me, you could do that. My email is tali at tallyrosenbaum.com. That's double L. I have a website. And you can be in touch with me that way. I do have a private practice in Beit Shemesh and in Jerusalem. And my colleague, David Ribner, and I uh, are coming out with a book to be published, hopefully some, somewhere in the next six months to a year. And what's the topic of that book? The name of the book is most likely going to be Anila Dodi, A Guide for Enhanced Marital Intimacy. Batslacha. Thank you. And I hope we'll have you back again on the show sometime soon. This is really interesting. Thanks. I'm Scott Kahn. You've been listening to The Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com. Please share this podcast and remember to rate and review us on iTunes.